today, the seven steps towards enlightenment, called the Bhumikas in ancient Vedic texts. So the first thing that must be very clear is that this is really quite a joke. Seven steps towards enlightenment is it's really quite a joke. I mean, most of my classes, or I would say all of my classes, are really not to be taken very seriously. But this one especially should not be taken too seriously. This is a big joke. I mean, if you know a little bit about what is enlightenment, then you understand this immediately. Because seven steps, I mean, we all take millions of steps <laughs> to reach there. And uh, definitely we are taking, you know, all our own steps. So we all have our own path. So it's a little bit crazy to talk about seven steps. And uh, in any case, the whole universe is a joke. Right? The whole universe is a theater. The whole universe is just a play. There's nothing, absolutely nothing serious about it. So then enlightenment as the ultimate answer, the, you know, ultimate happiness that is entirely independent of what happens in this universe, obviously also is a joke. So it's, it's like you are asking a question and you are getting an answer. And when you get this answer, you realize there is no question. So it's just for fun. It's part of the fun. The game of life has many levels. And one level or one part of it is to search for this undying happiness. This always present happiness, which each of us has inside. <coughs> so it's really like a little bit of joke. And uh, it definitely should not like disappoint you to hear this class, which it might. That's also why I'm talking about it really being a joke. Because by understanding what indeed may be a little bit like the process happening in everyone to a certain degree, you also understand that this is quite a long path. So don't get disappointed about it. It's not the goal which matters. As I said, life is a joke. <laughs> so it's not the goal which matters. It's just the plane which matters. It's the going there which matters. It's the seven steps that matters. Not what comes afterwards. That really doesn't matter. I mean, uh, enlightenment is the ultimate solution to a problem that doesn't exist. So it's, you know, what do you want? Like, when, when it comes, you probably say, oh, okay. Oh, that's it. All right. Thank you. Move on. <laughs> nothing special, nothing special in enlightenment in a way, nothing special in God, nothing special in the self. All these things we can talk about it and feel very serious and feel very like, close to the truth or something, but it's, it's all words, it's all nonsense. And the truth which lies beyond, definitely lies beyond any kind of system of seven steps or nine steps or 9,000 steps which you can you know, think about. So... 
But anyhow, fortunately, these seven steps are not my own invention. Otherwise, I definitely would not talk about it. They are really quite old. They are found in the um, Varaha Upanishads. I don't know if that rings a bell, but Varaha is an incarnation of Vishnu. He then incarnated as a boar, like a wild pig, you could say, and saved the world and saved the Vedas, the holy scriptures, and gives a few lectures also to a sage named Brigu. And in this lecture, he is talking about the Bhumikas. So this is an interesting story. And uh, also Ramana Maharishi, which I personally really regard as like the biggest saint, at least I have ever heard about, is talking about it. So it's an interesting subject. It gives you an idea a little bit where you are and what to do. Because truly, where you are really defines what to do. You cannot say that to reach enlightenment or to do yoga, there is one particular set of rules. That is not, not possible to say. It depends where you are. So this idea of where you are, you can a little bit see as steps. Hmm? But see them also as phases, which really like overlap a lot. And where as a person you will move from one to the other and backwards and forwards. So it's all not so very straight. So the big question is not, where am I? You know, am I on step number three or step number six? This is really quite uh, another <coughs> illusion. Um, I think it's safe to say that this stairway to heaven, you know, you could see it as a stairway to heaven. It is there everywhere where you want it to be. Anywhere in the universe, you know, it can be there. And with only seven steps, yes, you can reach into heaven. No problem. And everybody does it. Everybody goes there once a while. A little higher up, a little lower, maybe. Usually, for most people, it only lasts like a split second. <laughs> but anyhow, we are all going there. So... Uh, this is this is for for everybody, but you can also find that okay maybe you are also going on all these steps, but still some of these steps are creating problems, are difficult to master, are difficult to stay in for a long time. As I say, it's not a big deal to be enlightened for a split second. That's very easy, actually. My opinion is that it happens to most people most of the time without them noticing it. You know, so it's it's really like a non-issue. Uh, but to stay there, that's difficult. So uh, you have to a little bit understand this so that you know a little bit better what to do, and then for the rest, better forget about it. Like most things. Now, the first thing to understand is that going on these stairs is just one option. And uh, in India, also in ancient texts, they say it is one option out of four. This is again, you know, just to give you an idea. So the desire for liberation 
the desire for enlightenment, is just one desire among four others or three others. One being artha, meaning wealth. So this basically means that you know, don't have to worry about you know, your bank account or if there's still some food in the fridge. You know, this is like a normal desire anybody can have in this world. Nothing wrong with that, right? Then there is the desire for pleasure, karma. All kinds <laughs> of pleasures are there. This is why also this world was created. Otherwise, it really has... Very little use. And then there is also the desire for dharma, which means righteousness, balance, harmony. So this desire also is there. Where maybe in the world you are trying to do something good or organize the world around you in a way that you think is nice. So these are the four purush artas, as they are called, the wells of the self. The desires, you could also say, of the self, but that's a little more difficult because the self is supposed to be without desires. But anyhow, so taking this stair up the yoga ladder, you know, it's just one option. And whenever you feel like doing something else, don't mind. It's okay. You, know. uh, you have other desires. Sure, this is true for everybody. And uh, so, just whenever you feel that maybe it is time to do some yoga, then also do it, right? Uh, it's also a desire which is good to have and which can make your life more agreeable. I mean, when we are running after pleasure, wealth, righteousness. Now and then we run into a wall, right? <laughs> and so when that happens, then you are starting to think, okay, you know, what's the use of all this running? And maybe I can try to find whatever it is I'm looking for by not going anywhere. I can maybe find it in myself rather than in some place outside of me. So this is the path of yoga. This is very simple. And it doesn't mean you have to exclude everything else. It just means, okay, if this is in you, if this desire is there, you follow it. And this is actually also where this part starts. So, step one is called good desire. Literally translated, it means good desire. So, basically, it means a spiritual desire, desire for enlightenment, a desire for liberation, a desire to grow, to become more balanced, etc. This is where it starts. And obviously, this starts, as I said, from running against the wall. <laughs> as long as you're not running against any walls, there's no such desire going to come. Only once you have little problems, then you start, you know, coming to yoga classes and <laughs> trying to find some answers, trying to find some solutions. So this is where it starts. And um, the main thing to understand here is that don't be confused. Okay, you are here, so it means yoga in your life has a place. It does not exclude anything else. It only means it has a place, like maybe playing soccer has a place, or you know something else which you like doing has a place. So this is very important to be relaxed about that. It's something you discover that brings you something, so it has a place, and that's what the first step is, is all about. So it starts with this interest, 
But the main obstruction to move further than that are your addictions. And I'm not just talking about drug addictions or some of the other more like official addictions, but all kinds of things to which you are overly attached. I'm not saying you cannot be attached to something nice, sure. But if you are attached up to the point that you are really no longer the master of yourself, then this is going to stop you from moving further. This is quite literally going to stop you from thinking correctly. Because this addiction always will be there, guarding itself and stopping you from thinking correctly. So this is the first thing then to do. Addictions take your time, they take your energy, but most of all they take your intellect. Or rather they produce <coughs> negative intellect in which you doubt the path of you. This is because of your addictions. As I explained it before, yoga is just one of four desires. It does not even have to be number one. It is just one of four. To see it like that, to live it like that, is only possible if you get rid of your own addictions, because if you still feel addicted, then you will feel that this yoga is a threat to your addictions. And so as long as you don't get rid of them, you will think negatively about your yoga. You will question your yoga. You will question anybody's yoga. And so you will think negatively about yourself. This is a little bit like a depressive attitude. If you remember the class I gave on depression, this is very much connected to that. Addiction and depression are very closely linked. So this is the main thing. You don't have to stop eating chocolate But if you eat chocolate in a really unhealthy way, then this is one of the things you should stop. And in this way, there are many things. There's watching TV, there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of maybe also ideas that you are very addicted to. Also, maybe opinions of others about you that you are very addicted to. All kinds of things you are, to which you are attached in a little bit, I would say, hmm, sorry for the word, a little bit neurotic way, like a little bit like crazy. Addiction is something rather crazy. So this is the first thing to get rid of it, and it's very easy to get rid of it by using vrat. Vrat means fasting. If you eat too much chocolate, you don't have to stop eating chocolate for the rest of your life. You just have to stop eating chocolate for a while until, again, you are free from it, and then you can again enjoy it. It also gets its proper place again, being, you know, really nice sweet. <laughs> but not to be eaten in excess. So it is the same thing with TV. Mm. If you're used to watching two, three hours of TV a day, well, you know, you have to kind of question that. Yeah? Then maybe go without TV for a while and see if you can do it. And if you can do it, then okay. Okay. Yeah. Then you are, you are free from it. And then it will not stop you from thinking. Because otherwise, whatever I'm saying, whatever any yoga teacher is saying, is going to conflict with your addiction. And you're not going to believe me, or you're not going to believe whatever you are reading, quite simply because of that. So this is the first step, very easy to understand, very simple story. Get rid of your addictions and you can move forward. You can really move forward. And I'm not saying you cannot move on the second or third step without doing this. I explained, we all run up and down these stairs very easily, no problem, <clears throat> only to stay there, to really go there. 
it's a little bit more difficult. So if you really want to move to step two, really have something going on there, you need to have this conviction, this self-confidence. A person who is addicted has no conviction, has no self-confidence. So you have to first have that. That's very important. Don't take anything that I'm saying seriously. Okay. So... And then comes step two. Step two is called vichara. Literally means to focus. But usually it is translated as self-study, self-inquiry. You have had this idea that maybe all this running is not such a good idea, or at least that you should stop trying you know, to run all the time and Try sitting still for a while and try to find something in yourself for a while. And you have asked this question, but you still don't really have the answer how to do it. And what it really means to do it and what really can be found when you do it. So this is the second step. This is when you start reading lots of books. When you start going to classes like this one. Where you start thinking about these things looking into yourself and, and trying to find out what's, what's this story. It, it really does change your perception of the world a lot to understand that maybe running after things is not the only thing that can be done. So then you have to a little bit start studying and uh, the annoying thing there, let's say, is that for a while, you will need words. I mean, words are quite useless. Words are just ideas, concepts, and they are defined by using other ideas and concepts. And so in themselves, it doesn't really teach you anything about what we're talking about. If you want to, let's say, understand which is the best way to brush your teeth, then if you read a book and it says, oh, if you move like this, it will do this. And if you move like that, it will do that. And it's a good idea to floss, you know. So then you get some information about that and you can really learn something. There the words will really help you. But what it means to not do anything, to stop yourself from doing anything that you can never learn from a book. But you can get some idea. And the main thing is you can answer the question in such a way that your mind is satisfied with the answer. That's the main use of all these classes and all these talks. That you have been able to ask lots of questions. And by asking questions, you get lots of answers. And to some degree, this satisfies your curiosity. And in that way, you can let go all this questioning, which is the thing that you have to do <laughs> because you know, if you're talking about stopping doing something, then we're definitely also talking about stop thought. So it means to stop questioning. But in most people, you can say, before they can really do that, they first need to be able to ask a lot of questions or to hear somebody talk about questions and answers and stories and concepts. And so you have some idea 
what you are doing. Also, when we talk, for example, about meditation, there's a lot to learn about the whole process of meditation. In effect, it's actually useless, but it gives you some pathway. It gives you some idea that you know what you are doing and this way you are doing it. <laughs> and not asking too many questions. Otherwise, if you never ask all these questions, you're going to start you know, trying to meditate and trying to stop thought, and then these questions are going to come. So for a while, you really need to uh, go into these questions and uh, trying not to do it in a too intellectual way, trying to understand whatever is being said in your own words and in your own experience. Otherwise, it's just words. At least by bringing it in your own experience, you can understand the meaning behind the words. You can feel the knowledge rather than just you know, knowing it intellectually, repeating it, parroting it. It will become a part of you. Like, let's say, for example, in the class on anger, I can say, well, no, anger always comes when some expectation is not fulfilled. So if you're questioning your own expectation, then the anger will more easily go. This is one of the things I say. Now, to understand this intellectually is very easy. To tell this to somebody else also very easy. But to understand it, you have to do it. <laughs> to understand it, the next time you get angry, you have to ask yourself, what is the expectation that I had? And then you will realize, oh, yes, I was really expecting that. And then by realizing that, your anger will go and you will understand, yes, this link is really there. So learning is really a part of, of the process and, and the process includes your own experience. So you start really observing yourself. That's why it is called self-study, self-inquiry. You really start watching yourself. You start watching your own mind. You start watching your own intellect. Mind and intellect are two words. Actually, if you look at what really is there, mind and intellect are so closely linked, you can hardly separate them. But still, to separate them makes it possible for you to see them in yourself and have some understanding about what's going on and be able to say, oh, this is just mind, forget about it. No, oh, intellect has a problem. No problem, that's just intellect. So this makes it possible for you to not ask all these questions when you really want to stop question. So in like jhana yoga or advaita vedanta teachers they often like to say oh don't think and don't ask all these questions and forget about all the words and stop reading books and so on and this is very true if you already have been listening a lot if you have already been reading a lot at some point yes this will come at some point this will be the right thing to do but in the beginning you really need all these concepts, you need all these books. So uh, this is just, just part of it. And that's where satsang also comes in. Satsang, when you are seeking out those who you think are, you know, having something interesting to say. So this is, this is the right thing to do at that time. As long as you have questions, you have to ask them. You can try not to have questions, but that's not something you can like consciously stop. Vichara is all about asking so many questions, seeing the uselessness of all these answers, so that ultimately you stop. <laughs> that is vichara. Huh? So 
studying yourself is, is important. And the main obstacle here, and many people get stuck there, is the idea I understand. There's nothing to understand. Not intellectually, there's nothing to understand. Truth cannot be found in words. Happiness cannot be found in words. Silence cannot be found in words. They're just noise. They're just sidetracking. To really feel the truth, to really feel the self, to really feel who you are is beyond words. But the words can a little bit guide you there. But the idea I have understood, now I know, that's where you get stuck. Because once you do that, and you have, you know, a set of concepts, and you say, okay, this is it, and now I understand, then you hang on to that. But then you cannot evolve, then you cannot see beyond. So, working with words and understanding is like juggling. You know, juggling words and juggling understanding and juggling all kinds of things. Don't take it seriously. <laughs> it's just a game to satisfy your mind, your intellect, make you a little bit more confident. And that's, that's, that's really all. So in the end of that phase, let's say, when you've rounded up that phase, yes, then the questions will go. And you will find maybe before you were reading one book a week, and now you hardly read like one book a year. You don't feel the need. You don't feel like you are going to find anything there. But that's again a phase. I'm not saying the one who is feeling that he's going to find something in books is wrong. No. If you feel that, you know, you're going to find something there, please go and look. What you will find will not be what you are looking for. <laughs> what you will find will be that there really is nothing to find. That is only to be. That is not about understanding. That is only about being. So, and then you can move forward. Trial and error. As long as you think there's still something to be solved by understanding it, you cannot solve anything. But as long as you think like that, then please try. Give it your best shot. You know? <laughs> it won't work, I can tell you. But what will work is that you will stop asking the question. So, and then when the questions are gone, when the books are dropped, then it's time to walk the talk, as they say. Because by that time, you really have already a little idea about what's to be done. And then you have to do it. As long as you are still questioning, you can also already do it. You can do meditation. You could do all, all sorts of nice things. But as long as this questioning is still there very dominantly, it will not bring you a lot. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Sure, you should do it. It will bring you some experience. It will bring you some of that truth beyond the words. But as long as there's still so much searching for words, then it's not really going to work. But when you feel, okay, now I know what is the problem. I have some idea about the solution. At least I know where I should start then you should start. And then comes step three. So, step three is called Tanumanasi. 
Tanumanasi means to thin the mind, to make the mind thin. Basically, it means to learn how to stop thinking. But of course, this is not so easily learned. So here, actually, we find all stages of Ashtanga Yoga. Actually, here we find all that you can do in yoga. All the techniques that are there in yoga are here in stage three. So you learn to control your body. You learn to control your breathing. You learn to focus your mind. Then you learn to go inside and keep mind quiet. And then you can find the self. And usually, well, let's say there's two kinds of ways to enter this part. Extreme suffering can be one reason. If you're really feeling so unhappy, you, f- you need some solution, and then you can see some people really taking up mantra meditation or some other kind of technique and really going for it completely. It may work. But in most people, it's just like they are playing around with it, doing a little thing here or there. And then there is this beginner's luck, as they call it. This little taste of bliss, this little taste of samadhi, deep meditation, this little taste of enlightenment. And then when this little taste is there, then we want more, and then we become more serious. And then we really start doing some meditation practice. And I'm not saying like once a week. I'm saying like having a practice in a daily way so that we can learn to master ourselves, which is a requirement in that stage. It is a requirement to really meet the self, meet the truth. We've moved beyond understanding or beyond the trying to understand, to the feeling of the truth. And the feeling of the truth is only the self. It's the only answer to all your questions. <laughs> but to find it, to let it come out, you got to stop this one. You know, fantastic tool, but at that moment, it's like in the way. So, enlightenment is not about going anywhere. In that way, these steps are useless. I mean, it's not about a place where you can go and then find it. How can you find yourself by going anywhere? But you do need to step aside. This is the only step that you have to take. You need to step aside. You need to step out of the way so that the real you can come from. The you who you think you are has to like say, okay, I'll step out of the way just for a while, you know, just during the meditation. And then the real self can come forward. And once that is happening, then the desire for more, for longer, will be there, and you will more and more grow in that. And that will take a while. But slowly, slowly, you will be mastering what you could say the art of samadhi. Hmm? Samadhi being the state of meditation in which your ego has temporarily left the scene and where you can really experience what we all are and understand the eternal nature 
everything and understand that there is really no problem and understand all these beautiful things that you've been reading about in step two. <laughs> then all that will become very clear and you will not need any book to understand it. It will come directly from your own experience. So this is, I would say, a little bit like a juicy step. Juicy in the sense of, you know, got to work. Step two is just like a little bit fooling around, you know. But step three, you really have to work. There's no way around that, I'm sorry. I would like to say that, you know, there's also another way, but there is no way around it. For some people, it can go faster. For some people, it will go slower. That's about all there is to say about it, but everybody has to pass there. Some practice is needed. And the reason why it's different for some people has to do with what is still in their subconscious mind. In the subconscious mind, there may be disturbances, maybe from childhood or past lives or whatever, which make it really hard to let go, which make it really hard to go into deep meditation. And so for them, it is more difficult. For others, just doing it for a while, it takes a while, anyhow, will bring it about. And as I say, the more you get it, the more you want it, the more you invest in it. And then at some point it becomes very easy. I'm not saying that it's already like this. We're only in step three, right? <laughs> but it's easy. If you follow a certain technique that you have mastered, it's easy to again go to the self and recharge yourself there. So this is a little bit the path of Shiva, the path of Vaira, which means detachment. And this is also the main obstruction to resist the need for detachment in this stage. And I understand. It seems like contrary to our feeling that the world is fantastic and that God is great and we're all enlightened anyhow and so why should we go through all this trouble? And there really is no problem and the whole class is a joke. So, you know, if, if then I say the whole class is a joke but please, you know, meditate for a month, <laughs> it feels strange, right? But so it is not strange, it is just a temporary need. I can't say how much time will be needed, but some need is there to set aside everything else. Vairag really means setting aside everything else for a while. This is not a philosophy. This is not a idea that the whole world is wrong and going after fun is wrong or anything like that. It's nothing to do with philosophy. It's nothing to do with that. It's just a technique. For a while, you have to forget everything else so that you can find that which really matters most. And, you know, it doesn't mean it's the only thing that matters, but to find it is, is quite useful. So that is uh, the only obstacle. And it's a little bit of ego, of course, also. No? Like the feeling, I don't need to do that, you know, I can do it. Just by having a good time. 
And then, you know, okay. We all make that mistake. <laughs> so then again, we run around. And then again, we run against the wall. And then again, we say, okay, maybe I should again try. Huh? So this is a little bit a process. It will take a while. But uh, you can't escape it. You need some cleaning up of your subconscious mind in somebody. And you need some real experience of the truth before you can actually start living it. So, wherever on these seven steps you feel a little bit lost, you feel a little bit confused, step three is the place to go back to. A little discipline, a little technique, a little bit of shutting out everything and trying as much as you can to go inside. This is your anchor. And as I say, it's an investment. After a while, it becomes so much more easy. It's like asking very little of you to keep it alive. But that may be needed, that, you know, you also keep it a little bit alive. But still, in the... Uh, Next step, called Sattva Pati, things change a little bit. Sattva Pati means that you are the ruler of lightness, Sattva. By doing this work in step three, you have gotten enough connection to the inside that you really rule your own feeling, that you really rule your own good feeling. It does not necessarily mean that you cannot feel not so good. <laughs> this is still possible. But the moment you want to feel good, you can feel good. The moment you want to feel good, you can reach inside without needing any particular technique and bring this peace and happiness and bliss back to the center of whatever you are doing and move forward. You're still free to feel sad. You're still free to feel angry. You know, whatever you want. Up to the end, you are free. Hmm? The whole idea is to get free. So also here you are still free. But you have truly become already free because you can direct how you feel. Now, of course, this is actually true for everybody. Huh? Everybody, if they want to feel good, they can feel good. <laughs> Only they don't think it is like that. So then for most people, it is not like that. In Sattva Pati, you really have realized this. In Sattva Pati, you really have gathered so much understanding that you understand, okay, happiness is just a matter of choice. This is Sattva Pati. And by this understanding, you have it. But as I explained before, this understanding will not come by reading books. And this understanding will only come by getting inside. Because that is where this happiness is. <clears throat> so, you will be able to be happy whenever you want. And this is really a nice stage. 
at that moment, enlightenment is no longer very much a concern. It can wait. You have time. This is what Ramana Maharishi himself translates as self-realization. Self-realization is not yet enlightenment. These are two different things. Self-realization means that you have had so much experience of the self, so much realized the truth of it, the power of it, that whenever you want, you can just take it and just live from there. So, still here some obstacles can be there. And the main obstacle here is whenever some unhappiness comes, because it still can come, that you try to find a solution outside of the self. This is the only error really that in this stage you can make. Some unhappiness comes and you think, oh, I'm going to solve it by doing this or changing that or going there or asking, or, you know. No, no. In this stage, the only real answer or the first answer at least to any problem is by going in here and then moving forward from, from this peace, from this understanding. So this is the basic exercise. The exercise in stage three is to control mind. In stage four, the exercise is to stay happy. I say this a lot, right? Try to stay happy, whatever happens. But it's not so easy. Hmm? But there, really, it becomes easy. It's a matter of choice. And if you are not doing it, it's just another ego game. Ego can also just stick to being unhappy. Oh, they did that, you know. I really have the right to be unhappy. So that can still be there. But the moment you realize how stupid you are <laughs> by doing that, you can take it and, and go. Which is not so easy for people who don't have this connection to deep. Then whatever has happened can be so overwhelming, so strong that you feel helpless and the only thing you can do is cry or shout or, you know, whatever. Uh, feel unhappy. Of course, in this stage, desire is still there. Actually, till now, you have not really done anything about desire. You've only done something about controlling mind and understanding a little bit the story. <clears throat> the desire is still there. That's also why sometimes you can still be unhappy. Because if you have a desire and you go after it and you think, oh, it's coming, and then it doesn't come, you feel you're unhappy, right? That's normal. But so then the idea is to go back to the self. And so when you pursue your desires in this stage, it should happen in Dharma, meaning it should never be forceful. It should not create any bad karma. Whenever some opportunity to fulfill a desire comes, okay, you take it. But you are not running after it. You are not trying to force it. You are not trying to grasp it. You are not harming anybody in order to get it and things like that. So the rules there are a little bit different. Let's say that for a couple of years you feel, oh, I'm in stage three, so I have to be really focused and detached and everything. Okay, then please do that. But then after a while, 
once you have really mastered this connection to the inside, that game again will change and you will have to allow yourself to play. <laughs> to play the game. This game is divine. Already in that stage, you very much understand that, that this playing is divine. As long as you are still having a lot of problem with this game, feeling this whole world is like, you know, very bad and want to run away from it, then this is different. Then okay, run away from it. Until you find inside, you know, this peace and happiness. But then you are not only able to again play, you're also supposed to play. <laughs> you're also supposed to go after your desires because they are Shakti. Shakti and desire are the same word in Sanskrit. Shakti is the goddess. It's part of it. You cannot just escape Shakti. No. She'll get angry. <laughs> she won't leave you alone. So this is the energy part of the game. When we are going inside, we're trying to find pure consciousness. But once we are there and we start living from there, we understand, oh, well, this outside is also just pure energy. And both are one and the same. They are inseparable. With every breath you take, you take both consciousness and energy. So then to also play the game of energy becomes a requirement on the path of you. And you have to be willing to suffer for the goddess. You have to be willing to suffer for your desires. You have to really start playing the game. Like a real human being, my teacher used to say. <laughs> Because then you are really knowing and you're having this capacity to play the game and accept that sometimes you lose. To play the game without becoming an animal who is, you know, like blaming others or hurting others or doing wrong things. Then you can really play the game. Be like a normal person in a way. But at the same time, you know, being quite different than most people. Because your heart is open. You know? And you still desire whatever you desire, but you don't need it because you have something else. You have this connection inside. So, this opposition between stage four and stage three is often very confusing to people. They would all love to be in stage four, obviously. We all would like ourselves to see, you know, like, oh, I'm in stage four. Now I really can play the divine leader. But as long as you cannot be happy whenever you want, you are not there, I'm sorry. As long as you are not happy whenever you want, you need a little more exercise, a little more seriousness, a little more, you know, staying away from desires is, you know, a good idea at that point. At least one hour a day, <laughs> you know, some exercise And what also changes here is that while you have your own personal desires from your karma, from your past lives and your past actions and, you know, 
one day you saw a horse and now you want to learn to ride a horse. I mean, some things like that, which are really quite personal. But at that point, what comes also is your more universal part of the karma. We all have a role to play in this universe. And once you have reached this level, then the universe will also expect from you to play this role correctly. And in that way, we are all unique. I have said, you know, some are apple trees and some are mango trees and some are cherry trees and some are something else. But the only thing you can do is to be the best possible apple tree or whatever tree you are, you know, to give it your best shot. So in that way, there really are some destinies to be fulfilled also in this stage. And this stage can honestly take many lifetimes. (laughs) You have a debt to the universe and you have to pay this debt. And so maybe this means you have to become a healer. Maybe this means you have to become a teacher. Maybe this means you have to become an artist. There's, you know, great power in art. Just today, actually, I was looking on the internet and I saw a little video clip. (coughs) And it was named uh, Korea Got Talent. So, you know, this kind of talent shows. So this was one of these shows in, in Korea. And there was this young boy coming. And he was like a homeless kid or something and had really a very bad life. But when he started to sing, it was magnificent, you know, unbelievable that such power could come from from this kid. So for that, he is there. That is his, you know, contribution. In this way, we all have our own contribution, of course, in every life, in every stage where you are. But if you are in this stage four, then yes, some contribution has to be made, some debt has to be paid to Vishnu, the preserver. Some of the energy that you have gathered must be given in return. And so that may take some time. And meanwhile, whenever the opportunity is there, also your personal desires can be fulfilled. So, but the need for discipline here becomes less. The need for strict discipline becomes less. I'm not saying it becomes absent. Some discipline always there to sustain whatever is there is good. But the relationship with mind changes. Like mind is like a dog. And every dog needs some training. So to train a dog, you put it on a leash. And then you walk the dog on the leash so that it learns to obey, and it learns to stay close to you and do what you want and not go running off by itself. So the same is there with our mind. In stage three, we have to teach mind, you know, that we are the boss so that it doesn't run out of control, that we are not thinking all kinds of things that we don't really want to think, but somehow we can't stop ourselves thinking like that, that we really get this control. So for that, we need to put mind on a leash. But in stage four, then again, this leash has to go. 
maybe uh, five minutes a day. <laughs> it's still good. You know. But the relationship has to change from something which is controlled to something which becomes your friend. Mind has to become your friend in this stage because mind is also the tool that you are using to fulfill your karmic destiny, to fulfill your law. So mind has to be your friend. Like a dog, when it is really properly raised, then the leash is probably used. But the dog is also given a lot of love. And after a while, through the exercise and through the love, the dog will stay close to you without the leash. There's many people actually with dogs who never get to that point. And the whole life the dog is on the leash. Only maybe in their own garden they can let it go. But the rest of the time always it is on the leash. You don't want to live your life like that with your mind. To always have it on the leash. Always under control. This is not the idea. Mind is also divine. So you have to make mind your friend. So that changes things. And you start working with mind in a different way. But mind is obeying. And if it is not obeying, it goes back on the leash. Sure. Then you need a little step backwards. You know, and you have to do that. And that is actually also something which then changes the opposition that you feel towards the need for exercise in stage three has gone in stage four. In stage four, you really have so much experience with this game that you understand that sometimes mind is just a little bit like getting out of control. It's the nature of mind. So you don't take it personal. Whatever is needed to put it back in control, whatever is needed to again calm it down, you will use it. And if you're used to using breath, you will use breath. If you're used to using the mantra, you will use the mantra. You will not think about it. You will not feel, oh, why do I now have to do this again? No, you will just do it. It's like, you know, like you take a bath every day. It's like the same thing. So, the really best news of today <laughs> is that this stage is attainable for everybody in this life. About the other stages, I cannot say. It is not for me to say. But if you look into scripture, then usually they will describe this as needing a little more time. <laughs> more lives. But attaining stage four is really possible. You only need to pass through stage three. Well, and two also, of course, but that's really fun. All this thinking and talking, reading, fantasizing about the truth. But this little effort <coughs> of stage three is required to reach number four in any serious way. As I said, everybody sometimes, you know, feels like nothing can happen. <laughs> yeah? Until maybe something happens. And again it goes. So that's what has to change. You know? And then so... It's just a little effort and really if you look at all the suffering that people go through in their lives, then doing this little bit of extra suffering to attain that stage is really like 
very logical. So, but still hard to do, I know. And we, you know, confident in the past and confident in yourself, ultimately you have no choice but to go up. The next stage is called Asam Shakti. Asam Shakti means literally no desire. You can also translate it, and I prefer that translation from Ramana actually, which is non-attachment. Non-attachment is different from detachment. Detachment is forceful. It is something you do. It's an action. You're thinking about ice cream and you say, no, I don't want to think about ice cream. In this stage, you never think about ice cream. <laughs> you are non-attached. You have no more personal agenda, no more personal desires left. That is all finished. So in this stage, there is no more effort. There's no more obstructions also. It's just a matter of time before you can move to the next step. And for what is this time then needed? To pay your debts, your karmic debts, which are still remaining. So this may be very short for some people. This may take longer time for some people. Maybe uh, three lives ago, you punched somebody in the face. So something has to be done about that. So in, in, in that way, you know, life will present the opportunities to pay back. And since you're not having any attachment, since you're not having any desires of your own, you're not creating any new karmas. You're not creating any new debts. So gradually you are clearing out the last part. This is the kind of person which really moves without personal desire. So generally whatever they do is karma yoga. Whatever they do is service. They just serve others and in that way pay back whatever remains of their debt. Oh, there are no obstacles. There's nothing to do except not doing anything else than that. But they don't. I mean, this is not a stage which, which you know, you can do. Up to four, up to stage four, there is still doing. There is still trying. There is still, you know, some effort. But once... In stage four, you have arrived at the point where your personal desires are all fulfilled and your connection inside is not only a matter of I can do it, but a matter of, you know, why go anywhere else. Then your desires are gone and then you can you know, move forward. Um, this is not something you can do. You cannot at this moment speed up the process or anything. It's not possible. It's just a natural process. You need some time to clear out your karma. And that's all. So in the end of that, you are free of that. Nothing more remaining in your subconscious mind. That kind of makes you feel that there is still something outside of you that you have to do. That is then finished. You have no more personal desire and you also don't feel like you owe anybody anything. 
you feel like everything which is your responsibility, you've taken care of it. So then what's the use of staying focused outside? So then you completely turn inside. And that is the next step. Called Padakta Bhavana. Padakta means the five wells or the five elements, meaning the whole phenomenal world is just made out of five elements. And the bhavana means that you know it. So you know this world. So you are no longer interested in it. So these people then completely turn inside. They are quite helpless. They usually don't take care of themselves very much because they are no longer interested in any of that. They usually need somebody to take care of them. They usually don't talk. There is just maybe action-reaction. Like, you know, why not talk? <laughs> why not answer if somebody asks a question? But there's no real desire to do anything. No conscious action. They're just inside, completely focused on the self. If this stage is just there and not any of the other stages are still involved, then it can take a short while. And then this turning inside just brings about the last stage or the final goal, which is Turiya, enlightenment, liberation. which is really difficult to talk about. <laughs> Whenever anybody gets there, please come and you know, tell us about it. It's a, surely a good story. But it's obviously also not so easy to talk about this. Hmm? Anyhow, even stage five, six, difficult to really talk about it a lot. It's beyond our understanding to be without desire. It's beyond our understanding to be without any interest, to be completely turned inside. This is not our reality at the moment. So it is difficult to understand. So definitely it is difficult to understand what it means to be an enlightened. And uh, the concept of enlightenment itself, even that intellectually you cannot understand it. Because you have to ask then, to who does this happen? I mean, the self obviously does not get enlightened because it is already enlightened you know, from the beginning. The body is also not getting enlightened. That's just you know, matter. The mind will always be mind. Mind is just like uh, some software, you know, some programming. Intellect is just an encyclopedia, some storage of whatever has happened before, some memory. And then, yeah, well, the ego, maybe you can say, will get enlightened, but how can the ego get enlightened? 
Ego is just an idea. There's nobody real. So you cannot really say who gets enlightened anyhow. So enlightened is a difficult subject to, to even think about. And especially if somebody says, I am enlightened, it's, it's difficult because who is he talking about? No? When he really is enlightened, then there's nobody there left to say, I am enlightened. The only one who could be there left to say, I'm, I am enlightened, is the ego. But as long as the ego is there, then he is not enlightened. So, it's a difficult subject. And uh, maybe other people can say, oh, this man is enlightened. But obviously, they also have no idea, <laughs> since they are not. So, it's, it's a difficult subject. And uh, the question we can ask is, okay, then what's next? Then what do you do? <laughs> well, a little difficult. You are free anyhow to do whatever you want. And it is said that at that point, when you leave your body, because it dies or because you just choose to, then you have two options. You can either dissolve, really like stop existence as a separate soul and become part of the universal cosmic consciousness energy game, but without any individuality left. Or you can say, well, you know, I've done all this work, <laughs> come all this way, uh, let's play. And then again, take birth in some form that you you know, seems like a nice idea. And then whatever you want to do, you can do it. And then some may be becoming like, as the Buddhists call it, Bodhisattva. Meaning that they are really incarnating to help others reach the same spot. Like Buddha or maybe Dalai Lama. But some may just, you know, have fun. And generally speaking, it is said that these people like to keep a low profile. Which is understandable because if they really go shouting, you know, over the rooftops, hey, I'm enlightened, <laughs> it's only going to cause problems because it's not something like they can give to other people. Well, then it's only causing problems. So it's a... <clears throat> a difficult thing. And then there is one more thing to understand which is really important. That is, to all accounts, enlightenment is not necessarily permanent. <laughs> because you are free. It would be quite crazy if you would become enlightened and then find that you are only free to be enlightened and no longer free to be a little stupid. So, generally said, no, you are free to again dive into life. You are free to again dive into illusion. You are free to again lose yourself, attach yourself to something. And uh, maybe not become very stupid. <laughs> but a little stupidity is needed to play this game. Like this is very beautifully shown 
in the life story of Ram, the incarnation of Vishnu, where, yes, lots of things are happening in his life, and sometimes he is like caught in it. Even though he is Vishnu, I mean, like, apart from Shiva, who is like his big brother or best friend, something, you know, there's nothing much higher up there, uh, according to Hindu philosophy, except maybe the, you know, unnameable Supreme One. So, then even Ram, no, when his wife gets abducted, for example, who is also a goddess, who is Lakshmi, no? and then he does not see her for a very long time and he's wondering what is happening and he's worrying about her, you know, he loses it a little bit. You cannot play this game, like, honestly, if you don't believe it's somewhat true, relatively real. So, there is something to learn there. Enlightenment always is a choice, even up to the end and beyond the end. Even when you have it, it is still a matter of choice. And so it means that those people also choose again and again to stay there. Like we can. As I said, we all have a little taste of enlightenment, you know, now and then. A little taste of understanding, a little taste of bliss, a little taste of this is it, so just stick to it. <laughs> and keep again and again going there as much as you can. That's the only wise thing to do. And know that it is in this doing, in this playing, that the truth lies. And not in any ultimate thing that you reach and then, you know, game over. <laughs> no, no, the game is here. This is the Leela of life. And as I said, the best news of today is Sattva Pati is for everybody something you can reach. It does not require so much. And then you really become master of your own heart then you really can be happy whenever you want. And happy whenever you want also. But at least happy whenever you feel like unhappiness is no longer very nice. And then, you know, you are a little more free to really enjoy the game. And really go after those things that are your desires. Because honestly, you know, we all have many desires that we don't really even dare touch. We don't really even dare think about it because we are afraid that if we're going after it, we're going to be disappointed, we're going to be hit in the face, we're going to, you know, have all kinds of problems. So we try to kind of stick to desires that we think we can manage, that are somehow acceptable, you know, for us to go after. But once you are no longer afraid to get a little bit hurt, you are no longer afraid to a little bit fail because you know that you can anyhow again return here and from here everything is fine again. Then you can really expand your view and then you can really do a lot of you know nice crazy things, whatever you want. Uh, any desire that you have, you can try to fulfill it. Remembering your heart, 
you know, not forcing it, as I explained, uh, sticking to Dharma, sticking to truth, but still going for it and try to do, you know, really great things, which at that moment you really can do. I think it's a very logical growth through these seven steps. And uh, <coughs> most people who are involved in yoga, they are in the first three steps moving around. Sometimes a little doubting if yoga is useless or useful. Or, no? Sometimes just trying to understand. Okay. Sometimes trying to do it. Okay. So, and then there. There you are, and uh, each has its own importance. As I said, trying to understand is important, and trying to accept that yoga has a place is important, and then trying to do it is really important. And this will come, at some point it will come, don't, don't worry, uh, you know. In ancient tradition, then the idea was that people should come to stage four, at least to the beginning of stage four, before age 25, before they would get married and really go into life. So that already this mastery would be there, this connection to the inside would be there, and they could, you know, like live a very nice life marriage and children and work and all these things without getting so confused. So this was the original idea. But of course we are not from this society. We have grown up in a different way. And if you are young, then you mostly want to play. So I think you should play. But once you feel like playing is no longer satisfying, then you know that, okay, something more can be done, which will be more satisfying. And then this is stage three. So whenever you feel up to it, then just do it. And it will bring the fruits. It will bring the results. I can promise you that it works for everybody. Maybe a little more difficult here, a little more easy there. Try some technique here, this, there. You know, it's a process. It's work. Take some time and effort. It works for everybody. Until, you know, you have found your heart. Then it's easy. So, Satvapati is the thing to remember. And once you're there, enlightenment can wait. <laughs> <laughs>